0: On this episode, I sit down with Austin West, one of our top account executives. Prior to joining the Fund Loans team less than two years ago, Austin was a branch manager at Chase Bank and had no experience in the mortgage business, let alone non-QM. Quickly, Austin has shot up into the top ranks of our industry, has been invited to be an expert panelist on non-QM, he's been nominated for NMP's 40 Under 40 Most Influential, and has funded over $90 million of non-QM jumbo loans. So listen closely as we discuss why you might have had a bad experience with non-QM in the past, what alternative products are most in demand today, who these jumbo non-QM borrowers are, and where to find them. Do you like saving money? I like saving money. So check out our Black Friday sale. Fund loans with no fees and save your borrower $1,775 by submitting your loan before the end of the month. Contact your AE for more details. Welcome
1: to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fund Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million-dollar opportunities.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm here with Austin West, Senior Account Executive of Fun Loans. How you doing, Austin? Good, glad to be here today. Welcome on, man. I, I know you've done a, a mortgage minute with us, but uh, good to have you on this more
1: lengthy, you know, show. So anyway, another uh, platform for me to just talk. I'll I'll take it.
0: Yeah. We're sharing a lot of information uh, that, that can really help people that are trying to get into non-QM and get into the jumbo side of the non-QM. So uh, it's obvious that a l- very little agency refi businesses out there. A lot of people are trying to find you know what do i do now with my pipeline what do i do with my marketing how do i get business and you know for us we've been doing this for quite a while now we're on our fifth year um and and just sharing some of our ideas sharing some of our methods uh, what we do well so that we can help other uh, mortgage brokers is really the aim so I want to jump right into it. In your opinion, uh, who is non-QM? Like who is the potential borrower, the ideal borrower? In your mind, what would you think a non-QM borrower is?
1: Any borrower that doesn't, you know, the easiest way to think about this, because a lot of people don't understand your typical mortgage terminology, you try to go to a bank and, and you don't you know, you you apply and you don't get the the loan you're looking for. Right. For some reason, you don't fit in that bank or conventional type box. And like you mentioned, your conventional lenders, your a paper type lenders, all people are reading in the news over the last year is layoffs and big banks laying off and the mortgage industry slowing down and not enough purchase or refinance business out there. But it's not true. Compression. Right. You know, it's it's around the realm that they're focusing on the realm that the media likes to talk about compared to you look at non QM and we're exploding. Yeah. You know, we've done nothing but grow our purchase refinance cash out. All of it continues to grow. We don't have slowdowns. You have more and more companies opening up left and right, more hedge funds coming into the space. So um, as far as non QM and what I try to educate my brokers on is the businesses out there. You just have to stop looking in your traditional places. True. It's and like
0: supply and demand. So, like, you know, the supply of people who need a refi well, the rates are higher. So that just eliminates anyone, like anyone that has a rate that is under four and a half percent or five, you know, even four, seven, five, it's like, you can't refi anymore. No. So it, it, they supply were, demand, yeah, they're gone.
1: Now it's like, we're, we're. After a couple of years ago. Yeah. You're, you're stuck in the loan you're in. Right. Um, where rates have been going and where we typically are rate wise relative to where these people try to refinance in the higher LTVs, you're not going to get those low fours anymore. It's just not, not where it's happening. And that's where a lot of brokers are kind of Given up. Right? Yeah. I'm not getting these a paper conventional and they don't necessarily know how to go find non-QM or like you asked earlier, what does the non-QM borrower look like?
0: Yeah. So is it self-employed people? Is it people Credit events. I know that the after foreclosure stuff is is dwindling because that pig in the Python is is almost gone. You know, it's like the peak of foreclosures was around twenty uh, ten. And so we're you know seven years past that. In, yeah, in, and that
1: was when nonqm QM first launched, you know, in the right around 2010 to 12, where a lot of these first companies opened up where you were still learning it, no one really understood it yet, and it was still a growing realm. That's where most of that business was, is these people that had these recent credit events events. You know, most of the non-QM done back in that day was still your full doc. It's just, they had a foreclosure or a short sale or a BK in that seven to 10 range. And that's essentially what helped get non-QM off the ground is your recent credit event, but they're still strong borrowers. They have good income and it's really grown and morphed into, since we're now past the seasoning on a lot of these things, a lot of the borrowers we see now are five, six, seven, eight years past their credit event. Now it's really shifted to the type of income you see borrowers have where the non-QM need is, and you touched on it, self-employed. You know, they might be grossing a million dollars a year, but what does the IRS think they make? You know, they're taking home 150000 after they write everything out, which you should. You take full advantage of, of the yeah, outlets you're given, maximize your income as a self-employed borrower, dump as much as you can back into the business. But where it hurts them is you have these borrowers that on bank statements... They deserve the million dollar mortgage, right? But the IRS, they
0: can they know they can afford it. Like they, Exactly. They're like, I can afford a seventy five hundred dollar mortgage payment. You know, I'm paying yeah.
1: seventy-five in rent. So But their mortgage, you know, they go to get pre-qualified at a bank or something using their tax returns and they're, Hey, you can get a $250,000 house. Well, knowing that is in that status or making that much money or has that much cash flow And is that successful as a business owner? They would, like you mentioned right now, rather rent for $8,000 a month to live in a property they want, even if they're not building equity into it, just because they don't want to purchase the house that their tax returns limit them to being able to purchase.
0: Yeah. They're like, Oh, uh, I'm qualified for a five hundred thousand dollar house. Nah, I'll just keep renting. Exactly, yeah. exactly,
1: because I can afford it. The cash flow is there. I have no issue paying these things. So they didn't even realize
0: that they can actually truly uh, qualify for their million dollar house, million plus, whatever that is, because the loan officer that they're working with just doesn't have these product programs, or they just haven't been educated enough to know that these, the, you know, how to do this. So that, you know, the awareness of the product's not out there yet.
1: Absolutely. And that's where um I spend most my time is every time I sign up a new broker, anytime I'm pricing a scenario when we're getting ready to submit, the first thing I ask all my brokers is give me one, two, three, four, five, five days, even sometimes up front. Mm -hmm. Let's dive in. Let's look at these bank statements. So let's really understand the borrower's situation, their circumstance, what they're trying to get done. And during this time, I'm not doing this alone. I want to teach you what I'm looking at, how we're looking at these bank statements, the different ways. We can calculate these incomes. Um, that's certain type of borrowers you see in certain realms where, you know, people don't understand how many outlets they have to go get these borrowers. So it's not only understanding the product. Let us try to teach you how to originate this stuff, too. The right. business is out there. And the biggest where I feel like the realm is lacking the most right now is the education piece. You yeah, go and you on fear these what trade shows. Know. It's like you hear yeah. the unknown. You think, well, these are too hard. This is
0: difficult. I don't want to look stupid to my borrower. Yeah, you would look stupid. And, and if we've you heard horror stories. I,
1: I mean, how many times have we heard, you know, these, some of these brokers that haven't taken the time to learn or educate, truly understand how non-QM products work. They'll simply just look at a bank statement, mm-hmm. add up all the deposits in 12 or 24 months, divide that by 12 or bam, you're pre qualified for the not understanding there's a lot more that goes into it. Right. There are cases where we have unusable deposits, right? You're a landscaper that brings in $10,000 a month, but throughout the year you sold a home and you sold a car and made an extra 40 grand. Well, we can't use those. Those are not income related. And that's where the education piece is so important is truly understanding what's usable, what isn't. Yeah. And if it's a personal, how do we apply an expense ratio, right? I Sometimes that's you don't where have-
0: people to. have bad experiences with non-QM mm-hmm. too, they, they go, oh man, non-QM sucks because they don't know that up front and they submit it and then it gets denied or gets like suspended or something. And they're like, ah, oh, this sucks. And then,
1: and then it's it's hurting the broker in so many more ways than anyone else, right? So if the broker doesn't take time to understand how these bank statements work, what to look for and how to truly pre-qualify, because a lot of times when these deals are brought in, the broker had already tried to do their own pre-qualification. So the borrower then goes out and starts looking for these homes at certain values. They don't know any different. All they know is, holy shit, I can use my bank statements. Awesome broker doesn't do it properly. Tells them they're qualified up to seven hundred thousand. Loan actually gets submitted to us. We have a purchase contract. It closes escrow in thirty days. Come to find out, after twenty five percent is knocked off the top for expenses, unusable, whatever it is, they really only qualify for a five fifty or six hundred. Now that broker put themselves in a position to they lost the borrower because you just wasted how many weeks of their time.
0: Yeah, like you know, pr- preparation is key. So, um, so you're you're saying like, you know, these non-QM borrowers are self-employed people. Like who else are they? Are they, we're seeing foreign national, we're seeing, I, I mean, I think it's a lot of it's just fallout, right? It's just, if the bank can't do it, it comes to you. So I think we see a lot of stuff like, for instance, appraisal transfers that happens a lot. But what else are you seeing as far as like new business that comes in? Not a, not a fallout type of deal. Where would you say why? Maybe is it new money, new, uh, like new company, new self-employed, like what other things make a non-QM borrower?
1: So something we've been getting a lot of lately, um, I'd say, you know, at least a third of my, my loans in process right now are actually for your really experienced investors that lost a lot of these avenues. You know, even if you go the conventional route where they would, traditionally be qualified, they now have caps on how many finance properties they can have and how their income is supposed to look, right? So um, where non-QM is really growing as well as these no-doc, no-ratio, type loan programs where we're qualifying these borrowers off the debt service of the property. And even if it doesn't debt service itself, you can still do it. Right. No and, ratio. Yeah. You can have unlimited number of finance properties. So now being an experienced investor doesn't hurt you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, loan amounts on those up to 5 million. So even you're not really even capped on what kind of property you're right. looking for. Foreign nationals are able to do like a no doc, no ratio loan mm-hmm. up to the same amount too. So you have a lot of your, um, what we see in our area, a lot, a lot of your Chinese, um, foreign national investors that want these multi-million-dollar homes, but they don't want the hassle and the headache of getting their foreign tax returns, getting them, you know, right. Um, so it's kind of like a hard money English loan, with the, like, in, in the sense the that no
0: income, right? But but you know, and, and it takes a little bit longer than a you know, five day hard money loan, but you get a better rate, you get a longer term uh, loan. So it's instead of like a eighteen month, you know, balloon type of loan, you're getting let's say a, a seven one arm interest only. With maybe a one-year prepayment penalty, and it's a
1: thirty-year like. amortization. There's no right. balloon payment. We're not going to be like a hard money lender where you're adding one, two, three points. Plus, right. you have the broker's two points. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hard money is no doc on that,
0: right? Like we can give them, you know, give the broker whatever their lender-paid comp is, one and a half or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: So now the borrower doesn't have to pay anything out of pocket. Right. And that's the big difference is for these savvy investors that are used to these five-day hard money closes, they're fine doing a two- to three-week close because right. they're saving themselves two, three, four, five points sometimes. Exactly. So it makes and a lot a of longer sense.
0: longer-term loan that they, they don't have to stress about in, in a year Lower interest,
1: longer payments. Exactly. So that is really where the realm is growing as well is you have a lot of investors now jumping back into the game. So, so where do a you lot find of those? Do you find the, those
0: off of um, marketing to people who are out there trying to buy investment properties, um, or even hard money people or kind of find what people are doing. The Google private money lending and see what people, the private money people are doing to market, kind of copy what they're doing, but then offer better rates, better terms.
1: Yeah. I mean, my most successful brokers that are getting these loans, hard money, like you just said, a lot of people tend to think that these hard money lenders, when they have these balloon payments come up for the borrowers, that they want to capitalize on this five point penalty or whatever it might be. Right. Well, if you don't have the means to refinance out, do you think that you're gonna have the means to pay this five point penalty and continue making your payments after, no. So they don't wanna foreclose, they don't wanna go into litigation and try to sue you for these funds. They want to get these loans off their line. Right. So going after these hard money lenders and talking to them about these no ratio product, listen, you put them in this loan, you gave them a six to 12 month term, these ridiculous rates, I'll pull them out at no points at a lower rate than what you're doing mm-hmm. and they don't have to do anything.
0: Free up some of that capital so you can go up back and lend it out again again and yep. again,
1: keep it going, keep it going. And that's one of those referral sources that, you know, you got to think outside the box as a broker trying to turn your your business on a dime, going from your conventional A paper world to trying to get into non-QM. It's not only about understanding the realm, obviously that's most important, but about where do you get the business to? And no one, you know, up until recently thought that a hard money lender would be one of the best referral sources. But sure <laughs> enough, they send most of what you need. They have the self-employed and they have the people that need the no doc no ratio And that's where a lot of my brokers are having success.
0: And this, that side of the business exploded like four or five years ago and it just keeps going and going. So there's not a shortage of hard money lenders out there. Like it's very competitive out there. Rates on hard money have dropped points have dropped. Uh, And so, I would say that would be a huge source of business if you want to go find a couple of those, maybe two or three of those guys to start referring you business they're, you're gonna be able to find them pretty easily. they're there's marketing out there, they're going to all the conferences they're you know they're uh, you know, you see their, their newsletters, you probably get their newsletters in your inbox. So reach out to them. That's step one, tell them what these products are, let them know you can be a a source for them or an outlet for, for, to help get these loans, you know, off their line and off their books. So next question that I wanted to ask you is what advice, for brokers starting out, so uh, being the senior account executive that you are, I know you've you've helped uh, new brokers or say brokers that are just getting into non-QM sort of learn how to do this. Uh, that's kind of what we're talking about now. But what what advice or what other advice can you tell uh, new brokers that are saying, okay, I'm starting to get into non-QM. What do I need to do right now? Like what what are some steps?
1: My biggest warning for any broker coming into the space: don't rate shop. This non-QM is not supposed to be targeted for who's got the absolute lowest best rate out there. It's not like the conventional world where everyone's pretty much the same you're really paying for technology most of the time, right? right? The process is the same. Documentation is the same. Everyone's guidelines are the same. That's not non-QM. Things do change. And where we're having a lot of struggle um, in educating our brokers on what to look for is a lot of times they shoot these scenarios out to 10, 15 people. One, they don't want to learn it themselves. And then all they're going to do is you know take whatever lowest rate they get in feedback from these non-QM lenders mm-hmm and that, that's who they wanna to submit to. That's not what this realm is built for or meant to be. If you don't wanna learn and understand the product and you're just gonna do a lowest rate, shop in that way, you're going to lose every time. Yeah. Um, kind of going back
0: to what you said before about, you know, if the deal doesn't go through, you lose the referral source of the realtor, you lose the, right. the confidence in the borrower, all that stuff, because usually the lowest rate product has the tightest box for non-QM. Yes. And so it's
1: because it's a tighter box because it's a more strict a form of lending. And if it's non-QM, most of the time you have an exception anyway. So if you don't understand it and you go to a lender that doesn't want to educate you and that lender. Is is more restrictive, mm-hmm. you have a very small chance of getting an already difficult loan closed. Right. And then, you know, the the, the free fall from there and all the, the bad things that happen that we've talked about. So the biggest thing is don't always write shop. If, if you're working with a lender and, you know, the account executive isn't able to answer questions, not immediately, I understand you got to look things up, but you also have to be comfortable and confident that you're working with somebody that actually knows what they're talking about, right? Yeah, what the hell? If if you ask about, a simple question around, hey, what's your max LTV with this FICO? And they take two hours to get an answer back. That guy doesn't know what they're doing.
0: How many reps have we talked to or heard about or heard of? I mean, I've been in the business 21 years. and No, I've heard so many reps just say, oh yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we could do that. Oh yeah, send it in, send it in, submit the loan. No problem, no problem. Yes, yes, yes. Just to get the deal in, right? Because they know that you're going to go submit it to wherever, you know, that someone says yes. And so I've seen that happen so I, in those reps, man. If you're out there, out there and listening to this, don't do that.
1: No, You lose credibility completely. Hey, let's flip it, right? You are that rep. We, we've talked about what happens to the broker when mm-hmm. they don't go to the right lender or, or set proper expectations of the borrower prequel correct. Let's flip it on the account executive. In this right. case, my peers out there. I don't even care for my competitor. If you do that, if you don't spend that time up front as well, really try to educate your broker. If you don't spend the time understanding your guidelines, knowing what kind of exceptions are, even something is learning what tiered exceptions are. I guarantee half my peers out there don't know what that kind of thing means, Layered right? and tiered. Yeah, exactly. So if you don't spend the time wanting to learn this as well, you're also losing repeat business from that broker, right? You know, if, if your entire goal is let's just push 50 loans through the door and hope I close 15 of them, that's not a good business model no. because you're going to lose all those brokers on the way. Where you win as an account executive is getting repeat business from the same brokers. This isn't a paper world. A good broker might send you three to four non-QM deals a month. Mm-hmm five years ago in a paper, a good broker could send you 20 deals a month. All those are the same. They're vanilla. It went through. It's a different world. So even on the account executive side, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard and understand our products as well. Because, you know, and it's gotten better, but in about two, three years ago when non-QM really started to pick up and the guidelines were a lot looser, that was everyone's mindset. Let's get it in the door and figure it out then. Right. We, we can't continue to do that. We can't continue to give that image to an industry that shouldn't have the image. Things are on paper. Right. Exceptions that are granted are granted all the time. It's about what's around those. How do we get that exception? Guidelines, they're 200 pages long. It's not like we're making these things up as we go. Right. Things are, you know, black and white in a sense, just like any other form of lending, we just have the ability to get extra done based on the situation and get these exceptions. And as an AE, if you don't want to take the time to learn that and your goal is just to push these things through the door, I'd bet you don't have a job within 12 months because that's so not what this is supposed to be. Maybe six months. <laughs> Even six months.
0: <laughs> to your point here of like, don't be just a rate shopper. One of the things that I've seen recently happen in non-QM is, is a lot of kind of like the Amazon model where, uh, you know, people are giving away. Loans for free so that they can get the broker business in. So, like, just to, to name a couple, like big guys like Impact and Caliber, they're the one of the you know some of the top lenders out there, and they're doing non-QM. And so these guys have both a retail and wholesale side. And from the mouth of a high-up executive at one of our competitors, I heard this about maybe two and a half years ago. They said when a broker originates a loan and they fund that loan with me, and I'm talking about our competitor, not us, not fund loans, but they fund that loan with me, uh, I'm paying them a lender-paid comp. I'm paying them a commission, basically buying that customer for my bank. So. Mr. Broker, you've originated a loan. You submitted that loan to me uh, as a bank and we've funded this loan. Now that customer's our customer for life If and we're holding this loan on our books or we're servicing this loan and now, and you know, Big companies do service their loans, like Citadel Services. It's Citadel Servicing Corp. Not saying they do this, not blaming them, but I know that lenders that have a retail division, uh, such as Caliber and Impact, and they're strong retails. Have you ever heard of Cash Call? Right. That's the impact. So, you know, as soon as they get a payoff demand, the first thing that they do is they go out and they call that customer and their job is to undercut whatever you as a broker is, are offering that, that client, uh, and to pretty much do the loan at a a loss. Even if whatever it takes to cut you out as a broker. Are you talking
1: about like wholesale? Yeah, yeah, like wholesale lending, yeah.
0: exactly, like the Brawl movement. And, you know, that's something that is actually in their business model.
1: Brawl, what, what is, brokers against wholesale lending lenders, or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: think what, one of the biggest brokers in California just, just, uh, just completely blocked Quicken because they were doing that churning. It's like just churning your borrower. So once, like, as a, as a loan originator, some of the best, uh, the best thing, one of the best perks about having, you know, longevity in this business is that you get repeat business. But as soon as these wholesale lenders start Churning your borrower Say goodbye to that borrower You're never seeing them again Unless for some reason There's a problem And then they You
1: know they come back to you But Well uh, it's it's a double edged sword So if you look a lot of these wholesale lenders What is their structure like? Right? So at Fund Loans All we do is non-QM Right It's from 6am Till whatever office closes How late people want to stay here Everyone in the company Looks at non-QM morning to night your caliber your impact you know they'll have an underwriter that at 9 a.m they're doing non-qm at noon they have an fha at 3 p.m va and then they try to go back to a non-qm you know your brain is wired based on what you do on a day-to-day basis so if you don't understand and look at and underwrite and build your company around non-QM as what you do, mm-hmm. you can't also claim to be an expert on it. Yeah. And that's you the, need to the have dub-
0: expertise yeah. in this type of loan product and, and realm, because if you don't, you're right. You're going to get weird conditions. You're going to get denials, suspenses. There's not going to understand it. They're not going to comprehend it. They don't have the experience. It's the kind of like, what I like to say is why would you trust uh, with your jumbo loan? Why would you trust, trust somebody who's not an expert? Right. You know, because that's a big freaking commission.
1: So it could be a double hit. You have the risk of them not getting it done because they don't understand non-QM. Yep. And let's say they do get it done. Now you have the risk of you just lost a borrower forever. Right. You might have a great relationship with this borrower and done two of the loans in the past, but now you just took it to a lender. To your point, who's going to do everything in their power to, to turn him. and burn, and you're never going to get business off that. Right. That, uh, because borrower they'll again.
0: undercut you. They they don't they're not paying. Like think about it. what your comp. Plan is as a mortgage broker these days. They're gonna most people out there. If you're listening, you're a mortgage broker. Your comp plan's at least a one percent, right? Hundred basis points. Probably you're you're more. You're probably at one hundred and fifty, and you know for a fact that the the LOs at Quicken do not make a hundred basis points on every loan. They churn these loans so fast. You'd be lucky to make 500 bucks a loan. maybe on the top tier of those guys. So they're going to undercut you right there. And on top of that, they're just, you know, they're just built to be able to take a loss on a loan here. They're just to beat out a competitor. So I really love that, that advice, Austin, about just don't, don't be focused a hundred percent on the rates, use your sales abilities, your sales skills to actually learn how to sell a little bit of a higher rate, but you know, on experience and, and based on, um, you know, competence and, and how good you are at, at non QM to be able to get it done is, is a huge important factor.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I don't even like to use the word sales these days, you know, too much. We're,
0: well, yeah, it's not like your cheesy sales no, guy, right? It, You're not, you know,
1: borrowers. I feel like how sale, not only in our industry, but multiple industries, borrowers and, um, you know, shoppers, their intelligence level of what to look for and how to understand products has far surpassed the growth we've seen from salespeople in any realm, right? right? If you'd ask, Ten people on the street, seven out of ten would still describe a sale. If you just said, "Hey, describe a salesman," they're still going to give you that old school car salesman, insurance salesman type vibe. Right. But that's not the type of salesman you need to be to be successful in especially our realm. Right. But most realms out there, right. So you need to be an advisor, a practitioner. An advisor, practitioner. You have to perfect your craft. You have to know your stuff. This isn't the old school where you didn't have to know much. You get it in the door and get it done, you know, to the, I I constantly use the word. It's almost annoying how much I use it. Educate. You have to be an educator, not a salesperson to get things done in this realm. And that's where a lot of my peer AEs, I see them go wrong as well, is they just bark at rate Mm -hmm. and don't address anything else. Well, what's your underwriting process like? How is your company structured? Do you only do non-QM? What is your experience in this? How long have you been around? Are you gonna teach me how to get these things done? Are you gonna look at it yourself or just let your team do it? All those factors, in my opinion, are way more important than just simply being an old school salesman selling at the rate or trying to convince you of why you're gonna get it. Prove it. Right. Right? You have to have backing to it because consumers and brokers are way too intelligent these days Mm -hmm. on what they need and what they need to look for that that old school salesperson it, you're not successful in today's realm. Definitely. That's good. Good advice.
0: So um, just want to go into some origination ideas. Um, you know, I know you talk to a lot of brokers and, and, you know, from my experience too, just we get referrals from crazy, just crazy places. Is there anything uh, you wanted to tell a story, I think, earlier before we started? Like, do you have any ideas on some crazy referral places that people can get deals from?
1: Yeah. I mean, we touched on hard money a little bit. I have a lot of brokers successful in the hard money. Um, One of my LOs in particular, he's actually really successful talking to divorce attorneys. You know, you got to look at these avenues where you, you almost always have a mortgage involved but you wouldn't necessarily look there before. Right. Um, I have another a guy that he goes to small business meetings in his area. Right. right? So he's not going to do these things from a networking perspective. Mm-hmm. He's going to network what he can do for them. Yeah. Right. So they're there to meet each other and referral. Hey, I'm a contractor. Oh, hey, you know, I saw whatever he's going there. Hey, here's what you both do. Great. I don't care. What are you doing about your financial? You know, here's how I can help you get a house. That's good. You're anything off. So he's going directly to these small business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another guy just bring up. He was going to uh, like a trade show. Mm-hmm. So like how you have your um oh my gosh like or
0: self-employed it? or entrepreneur there trade you go. show.
1: entrepreneur trade show That's genius where you buy a booth as a mortgage lender right <laughs> yeah because you're gonna no be one there yeah. you'd be the only one you're gonna be the only one there and you're gonna spark curiosity about what are you doing here as a mortgage? well you're self-employed aren't you right great you ever had issues buying a home yes or no move on if it's a no yes you can use bank statements. In sixty seconds or less, you just found a potential new or client. No
0: tax returns required to qualify. Whatever it is. That that's <laughs> And that's it. It's great. You're actually thinking outside of the box. You're thinking about where can I find like, where are these people at? Like, you know who they are. We've identified the who they're self-employed people or people with complex income or people that just don't fit in the box. Now you go to you unpack it. You go, where are these people located or how can I get their attention? And, you know, going to a trade show. Or having a booth at a trade show, or taking out an ad in a business magazine, or in a you know business publication, or email list that some sends emails and and. Uh Publication just to self employed people.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, so, and, what? And that's the thing is, you got to think even a little bit further than that. I think it was even you who told me, isn't it? about like 2025, 40% of people are going to have some sort of side hustle. I mean, well, that yeah, is. No,
0: it, Forbes said by 2020, 2020, 50% of the workforce will have some element of side hustle. Or, right freelance type of work. Whether it's
1: your Uber or Lyft or you Mm -hmm. deliver food, whatever it might be, those are forms of self-employment. Right. So, you know, a lot of it isn't even coming down to how do you find just self-employed? Well, how do you find the borrower who is also at your traditional full doc, but they need to add a little self-employment from their wife that they didn't think could use bank statements or, you know, this mix and match income is, is where you're going to find a lot of this business as well. It's so true. I have a
0: quick story I'll share is, uh, is a young originator early on in my, in my career. Um, I had I wasn't really good at telemarketing, and and the guy sitting next to me that was training me was just a, the best phone sales guy. Just just would pick, never put the phone down. Just hit the the ringer with his uh, his finger, and he just dial, 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 dial for dial for dollars. And I just couldn't do that, so I I actually got up and I walked around the shopping center that the the company was at. And I stumbled into this boat dealership. It was just, you know, jet skis and little boats, fishing boats. And and uh, I just was like, do you ever have anyone that applies for to a loan to buy a jet ski or buy a boat and that gets denied. And there's like, you need to talk to the finance guy. And they sent me over to the finance person and I, and this was like 20 years ago. So I barely remember this, but I do remember the finance person saying, yeah, we do actually turn people down. Here's a whole drawer. And he opened his drawer and he's like, here's a whole drawer full of denials. And I go, I could pull them out. Let's see. And so he pulled them out, stacked them on his desk, huge stack. And I go, is there, is there a box that they check that says if they're a homeowner or not? And he's like, let me look. Oh yeah. Here it says rent or own. And you know, here's one that says rent. here's one that says next one. Here's one. Oh yeah. This one's marked own. And I'm like, these guys tried to get a jet ski or try to get a boat and you not you just denied them credit. And then he's like, yeah, I'm like, well, what if they have equity in their home, and I can get them a you know get them a loan with cash out? Would that be would that help make some sales for you guys? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure he didn't, you know, wasn't allowed to do this, but he seriously handed me this stack of all these applications. And I just grabbed him. I walked back into my office and the dude sitting next to me that was telemarketing. I go, look at all these leads I got. And he was like, what? And I'm, so I started calling. I made my own little script. And um, just and a, now just they're buying a,
1: these boats cash. So they love even more. They're not, right. yeah, not even now,
0: financing the boat. And I got some loans out of that, that stack. So, I mean, there's just ways there's just, creative ways that you can find this type of business. If you look, you know, you turn off the autopilot in your life and you just start looking around and start opening your mind and your your eyes to see what kind of opportunities are out there waiting for you.
1: And and the the realm is constantly evolving. And this is the coolest part about you know the people buying this paper, hedge funds, private money on the back end, right? The nice thing about some them banks, is they some, some, some banks, foreign
0: banks, um, yeah, but hedge funds and private yeah, it equity. started
1: started with like the private money, and they are the ones who set this kind of expectation that has kind of been the rule is it is it evolves so fast <laughs> this is not like bank lending where if if chase wanted to go and make a change to the lending platform that's probably going to be a couple year process takes right? a while yeah compared to here we're seeing updates to our guidelines and the expansion of the product line every 30 45 60 days you know in the last three months Cannabis. Yeah. You know, the sure, you still have your federal mandates in place, but now that states are loosening up, you have people private are, banks out there allowing people to make these deposits. publicly traded cannabis companies. Yeah, publicly traded, yeah, we, and we've done some of those, right? Mm-hmm. We can now do cannabis income loans, right. whether you're bank statement, self-employed, or full document. That Absolutely. wasn't possible. I mean, six not months every ago. single
0: one, and, and you can't actually be growing on your property or manufacturing on your property. But if you work for a cannabis company, or you are, you know, even an executive at a cannabis company that's publicly traded, or that has, um, you know, that that's that's following the law and they're legal and all that stuff, then yeah, we can definitely look at those Yeah, loans. you file
1: in the state that it's legal in, you work in the state it's legal in, the property's in the state it's right. legal in, right? There's obviously exceptions because of... <sighs> the federal issues behind it still. Right. But, you know, up until three, four months ago, you'd you'd have these owners of these companies paying all of their taxes, but still making millions a year that nobody, because that that word, cannabis was tied to their income in any regard, right. regardless of, you know, Banks now we have publicly traded companies, like you mentioned. Right. Up until six months ago, even they couldn't get lending unless it's private money. I, I own a publicly traded cannabis company. Uh, everything is reported. I pay my taxes, Everything's sitting in a bank. And just until recently. But that just goes to show what the realm was really about. We're going to continue to evolve based on the consumer needs, not what we want it to look like. Right. How can we give more consumers access to getting mortgages? Because that's part of the American dream right? And they understand that and that's why they're evolving the product line to figure out how we can help more borrowers in the best case. A year and a half ago, we had two ways of doing bank statement loans. Mm -hmm. Now we can calculate them eight different ways. Again, it's just further diving into, okay, not every self-employed borrower is going to be able to get a CPA 24-month audited PL. How can we do this differently? And it's just ever evolving and growing. So that's why, you know, a lot of brokers too might see a situation or scenario where they think it's automatic. No. Well, hey, the more that we pitch things we've never seen to the investor and the more the investor looks at it like, oh, oh, you know what? I've seen that 20 times this month. Bam. Next thing you know, it's an actual product we can do.
0: Absolutely. And that just tells you that, you know, that when the crash happened and Dodd-Frank, you know, came in and did their they're damage to the mortgage well it was saving the mortgage business and some the economy and saving this whole business but they did a lot of damage in the sense of like really restricted really good people that should have been able to qualify for a loan and then so then and now it's swinging back the pendulum is swinging back to the other side to where but not all the way it's it's very safe still and, and, and these bank statement loans people ask are they are they risky and, and you know what I say is we're looking more intimately at this person's income at their spending do they have money left left over at the end of the month do they have NSF's how are they spending their money when you look at a pay stub or a w2 you're not able to see really where they're spending their money or what they're doing you see their credit report but that's it but that but you're really now on bank statement loans you're really getting deeper into their ability to repay and it's actually better and these loans uh, the default rate is so much lower than agency and and government loans. It's just, yeah,
1: I, I, it was probably about a year ago now, but they had done a, I think it was a two or three year history on a securitization of 16,000 non-QM loans and at a 0.07% foreclosure default rate, 0.07. I think
0: it was lower, 0.07.
1: So, I mean, not, so not even a tenth of a percent. Yeah. I mean, it was... And that, if, if that right there doesn't show that makes sense lending is just better for the consumer, right. then these 10 black and white, you check off these boxes, you're a good borrower. It's not that simple these days. Right. And, you know, the data just proves that doing things this way, not only helping people that didn't have access before, but it's more secure for the lenders, you know, right. we're, we're and obviously they're
0: getting more coupon, they're getting more exactly. money for it, so a, you know, not-
1: they're making more off of them on more secured borrowers getting loan amounts that are larger than they could ever afford before and the data proves it's so far has been safer than some of these you know default you know, Fannie freddie they're happy in what the three to five range three yes. to five percent compared to less than a tenth i mean as long as you tell me what digits safer. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh we kind of want to wrap it up but um all this stuff has been really great, but, you know, doing super jumbo, I want to touch on that. We we specialize in the super jumbo, whereas most other non-QM lenders don't. So why us, Austin? Why you as, a, as an AE? Why should, you know, our listeners, our brokers come to you, come to us, come to fund loans and submit a loan to us? Is there something you want to just leave the audience with that you think is special about us?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'll pop on it again, but we're here to teach you how to get it done, not just get it done for you. We, we got to work together on this. If I'm going to get repeat business, I want to show you how we got it done, why we got it done, what we look for to get it done. And on the other end of it is the more non-cum lenders that come into the space, we are still if not the only that is focusing on this super jumbo business.
0: Right. So we don't shy away from a five and a half, six million, seven million dollar loan. That's what we look for. That's what we want you to yep. submit
1: to us. I've done three five million dollar bank statement loans and an eight and a half million dollar bank statement loan in the last six months. Not a single one of those is bait and switch pricing. The only time pricing is gonna change is if the scenario is different than what it was priced as, right? Which every lender out there and every broker out there is yeah. gonna understand, as well as borrowers.
0: Yeah, if you say it's a 70 LTV and it comes back and it's an 80, know, it's, it's going to be a different price, right?
1: Yeah. right? But, you know, like on the eight and a half million dollar one we did, that thing got bit out by like four of our competitors. Mm-hmm. Thing was submitted, those things died within a week. We submitted at a rate. That rate stayed the same through the entire process. We got four exceptions on the file. NSFs, wasn't 100% owner, lapses in a couple months of deposits, credit score change, did a rapid rescore on the file. Still, at the end of the day, we got an $8.5 million bank statement loan with four exceptions and put a million and a half in the barber's pocket. And the rate without, was in the sixes. Yeah, Six and a half? It adjusted a quarter because we had a 5% LTV increase which again, everyone's like, okay, makes sense. You know, I want more cash. I'm going to pay for it. So, you know, at the end of the day, again, going back to the point I made earlier is we cannot focus on rate only, not in this space. You got to be comfortable with the lenders, go with the people that are experienced in doing it. And I'm not to say, I'm not here to say that some of these up and coming 9KM lenders aren't going to get it, right? right? We were new at one point. We didn't know what we were doing at one point. We had to prove ourselves on these big, ones too, but you already have a set few out there that have proven these $3 million plus, they're getting them done consistently without the bait and switch and exceptions on these across the board. Are you going to really rate shop for someone a quarter better that promises they can do it, that it's going to die three weeks later and you lose the entire thing? Or do you want to go with someone that knows it? that is an expertise in it that only does non-QM from morning to night with an owner, you know, yourself. You started as a non-QM broker. You, you know... The reason you've been able to launch fund loans where we are is you saw firsthand from a broker's perspective, before you decided to get into wholesale, what that looked like. Yeah. How it needs to get done, certain things we need to look out for, how it needs to be ran operationally inside, like our promises that 72 hours or less in underwriting turn times. Those are the things that really set it apart. And those are what you need to look for in a good non-QM lender. Thanks, man. And, then, and to add to that, there's a lot of people that wanna outsource the
0: you know a non-QM lender that wants to outsource the ops, which is really scary because the ops is, is so important in non-QM lending. So if you if you're working with a non-QM lender that outsources their ops, their ops is in another state, it's so important that the funder, the underwriter, the account manager, the account executive, everyone's all close together working as a team because you know these loans are tricky and things are, it's, they're human. You know, there's, there's little things that pop up at the very end that no one saw. And it's not because nobody looked, it's just because it's, you know, there's, there's human elements. The borrower on, on, you know, wasn't told to not go out and buy another car or something like that. Right. This stuff happens, you know, a good loan officer would instruct their borrowers not to do that. But what happens is people don't listen, you know, and I'm not talking about brokers, I'm talking about borrowers don't listen sometimes. And they just, you know, they don't communicate, you know, the wife or the husband or whoever. And so things just happen. And then the end things change and you just got to all be there together to work as a team to make it happen.
1: Yeah. And having everyone in-house for that quick communication where you're not sending an email or making a phone call, even a voicemail and you're waiting 24 or 48 to hear. No, let's get that addressed in 30 minutes. Timing is critical. Yeah. And that's why working in-house with my underwriters, if a broker has a question. I don't send an email or place a call. I walk 37 feet away from my desk right. into the underwriter's office. Hey, can you jump on a call? Okay, you're busy? Great, answer this for me now. And I got an answer for you in 10 minutes. Yeah. That, those are the type of situations that you're, even if you don't wanna work with us, that's fine, right? Everyone's got the preferred lender. But those are the things that you would hope your lender has in place. Yeah. Cause that's what makes non-QM easy. It's not difficult if you know how to do it right.